3: Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money tonight's trader lineup: Guy Domi, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, a heroic comeback: stocks finishing well off their lows as Apple rockets higher into the close. We're breaking down the incredible tech turnaround. Plus, a bank beat down the financials falling in today's session. One of our traders says the pain is just getting started. And later, a Nikola bombshell, the company's executive chairman, stepping down amid fraud allegations will tell you what is next for the embattled EV maker. But we start off with some breaking news from the Fed. Let's get straight to Steve Leisman on the Fast Line. He's got the details. Steve.
2: Well, uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell in testimony tomorrow before the House Financial Services Committee will note improvement in the economy, saying household spending has recovered three quarters of its decline. Uh, he's going to say this is in part response to federal spending and higher unemployment benefits, uh, of which is uh, currently running down. Uh, he says housing has rebounded and business investments showing signs of improvement. Overall, though, he was saying that employment and business activity are well below their pre-pandemic levels uh, and the outlook is highly uncertain. He says a broad recovery will happen when people are confident they can go back to regular economic activity. Uh, he makes special mention of the Fed's Main Street Lending Program, a $600 billion program with a backstop from the Treasury saying they now have two billion dollars in loans, either approved or in the pipeline. He'll be speaking tomorrow before the House Financial Services Committee with uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. And this is a required testimony, Melissa, by the CARES Act, where they have to quarterly appear before Congress and discuss progress with the lending programs.
3: Steve, the, the terminology used, highly uncertain. Does that differ at all from what the chair has used in the past?
2: no this is the same language he's been using and it's been a sort of a theme of his from the very beginning while the market has gone up and up and up and been more and more certain about outcomes uh fed chair jerome powell and a lot of the members of the fed have stuck to their uh take on the outlook which is that it's highly uncertain they've been concerned about a uh, second wave of the virus and how much underlying damage is done to the economy um I i don't know that it's a specific leaning against the market but maybe they try to provide a bit of a reality check for how the market uh, has sort of uh, priced in different outcomes,
3: <laughs> jawboning to, uh, to to combat the non-existent bubble that they say they're not creating. Um, Steve, thank you. Yes, sure. <laughs> Steve Leistman. Um and and in the testimony, he seems to say, you know, we need fiscal, we need fiscal help. The Fed is going to do all that it can for as long as it can, but it's a fiscal help. And now, with all the rancor um, created surrounding the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and whether or not there will be a nominee that will tried to be pushed through Congress, BK, it looks like that stimulus package may not actually happen. This is the risk in the market that you're talking about when the markets were pricing in stimulus.
4: Right, right. And I, I think, you know, that's a big part of why we had that sell-off today. And I know we reversed, but I think a lot of the reason why we had the sell-off starting in Europe today was that you have to say, we, the, everybody knows that there needs to be another stimulus package to get the global economy going. If they're going to be gridlocked and they're going to be fighting over a Supreme Court justice, or not even that, over the fact that whether or not they should vote on it, there's no room for compromise on a stimulus package. So I think the market was pricing that kind of uh, disappointment today. I'm still concerned about it. But I do think watching Powell and Mnuchin tomorrow will be very interesting for the market because I don't think Mnuchin wants this market to go much lower.
3: It was a veritable potpourri of reasons here, Tim, at the beginning of the day to sell. I mean, we had uh, the spiking cases, the fear about new lockdowns in Europe, potentially new lockdowns here in the United States. Uh, we had the rancor uh, in Congress here. At the same time, we really finish off the lows.
1: It was impressive. but uh, And, Mel, you know I love to quote the, the great philosopher Yogi Berra. Um, and I know you're a big baseball fan. But if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. And, and that's, that's really where I think the market is right now. You get it? Um, ultimately, you, you've got a case here where we, we came from such extraordinary place uh, on September 4th, where uh, you've had some of the major market cap of, of the world pull back almost 18 percent intraday. Apple is down almost 25 percent. Uh, but if you look at those charts, you know, they're arguably still broken. We'll have you know, we'll have the technicians on to give us that. But but a, a market that is waiting for stimulus, that it is not here and a market that needs the Fed to chime in every five seconds. Frankly, if the Fed is just stepping in on a bad market day. That is really scary. I don't think that's what happened. But but remember also where we are coming from, which is a world where the Fed is not getting out of the way uh, and told us over and over last week, we're going to have Powell three times this week. And I think we're going to be reminded that the Fed is going nowhere. Therefore, market needs to get back to some key levels. I think it's the the June 26 uh, level base on the Nasdaq, which is uh, around 245 on the triple Q's. And then we'll see where we go.
3: There are many great philosophers in this world, Guy Dami, and I know that you yourself were thinking about Yogi Berra when Tim said, uh, to quote a great philosopher, um, the market turnaround was extraordinary. And we started the, the show with Apple and the remarkable turnaround that happened in Apple shares to close the day up 3%. Does that tell you, is that a true tell of the markets? I'll give me another great
5: philosopher, the great Neil Young from Canada. And he said everybody knows this is nowhere, to Tim's point, about the Fed being... The- Listen, is it a tell? I think it's a tell in so much as, you know, Apple and Tim's nailed it. it from peak to trough over the last couple of weeks, Apple's down 25%, which is sort of your garden variety sell-off in terms of what we've seen over the last seven or eight years for Apple. I think that's a really encouraging sign. I would have liked to have seen it done, that reversal, on significantly more volume than we have been seeing but it didn't happen. But what else encouraged me today was the fact that the S&P, from peak to trough, today's low was exactly to the number, as the great Carterworth says, a 10 percent decline. And we bounced off that. And the other thing that I've been saying for a while, and I thought it would happen in a day, but it seems to have happened over the last couple of days. You know, the VIX topped out north of half, 33 last week, and it closed today south of 28. So you've seen this significant sell off in the market. But you've also seen volatility pullback, which is one of the things I said you needed to see uh, for a short term bottom. So you saw all those things. It's encouraging. Now, do I think it's over? No, I, I don't. But I do think you have great levels to trade against now to answer your
3: original question. And Karen did trade against some levels here, Karen, in that you stepped into the market and you and you bought some things.
6: Yeah, I bought a couple of things. I mean, FedEx, uh, I really like that. I feel like, you know, it's retraced almost entirely, maybe entirely that big pop that it had after those great earnings. And I feel like that is a good, you know, they've shown they can, they can make a lot of money in the pandemic. I think also if, they get, if we get back to a more normal environment, their uh, B2B, which is a higher margin um, revenue line for them, that will help. So I bought some of that. Um, I bought some Facebook. Um, I just feel like it's very oversold. Could it go lower? Of course it could go lower. But it just seemed to me these are things that I wanted to add to, and, and here was the chance. So um, in terms of the market, though, just to quote the, again, great philosopher Yogi Vera, I think we're lost, but we're making good time. And I don't, I don't know. I, I want to just nice. also give kudos to BK, who has said all along this stimulus really might not happen. And I think that was weighing on the market a lot. Um, especially with uh, Justice Ginsburg's death, the chance of a stimulus, I think, is pretty much, I I don't know, close to zero, So uh, at least before the election. So that weighed on it, and then I know we'll get to it later, but clearly the banks, um, and we'll discuss that more later, but that was weighing on this market as well. But I was very happy to see that triple Q turnaround. And um, I think we I maybe made up 400 plus points from the bottom in the last hour. Yeah. So that was encouraging. We'll see overnight if Europe picks up on that or Asia.
3: Yeah. And it wasn't just Apple, by the way. We saw huge turnarounds in Square in a lot of the chip names into the close. Um, so it wasn't just an isolated Apple led Nasdaq turnaround. Brian Kelly, I'm wondering, though, is there a catalyst in the third quarter? Is there one that I'm just not thinking of at this point for stocks to go higher, for you to believe that you have a, a, a level to trade against at this point? I mean, does having any sort of stimulus passed at this point become a huge market catalyst? I mean, what, what is that catalyst? Because there are elections coming up. Um, right. You know, it, right? It, it, there's nothing here. Earnings? Earnings would be the
4: catalyst? Well, well, uh-huh. well, there might be, right? I mean, so if we think about what has been driving this market is... Don't fight the Fed. We're going to get more stimulus and negative real rates. Right. So any three of those can come back with a vengeance. I I would say to me, what I'm looking for, I want to see the Fed take some action. I want them to say, hey, listen, we are going to cap yields. We're going to do yield curve control or something else, because by doing nothing, all they did was tell me, hey, interest rates are going to be low for a long time so me as a business person or as a trader what am i going to do i don't have to do anything there's no urgency so the fed needs to do something other than just vigorously shake their finger and say we really want the inflation to go up we might get a stimulus as we get closer to the election depending on how much public unrest there is there might be a political incentive for a stimulus to come through Uh, i don't know about real rates but the third thing is if there seems to be some sort of gap and let's say it's you know, Biden really taking lead or even Trump really taking a lead where it looks like there's not going to be any election uncertainty, I think the market might price in some uh, stability in that sense. So that's what I'm looking for. It hasn't happened yet. But if I see that, that's going to make me a lot more constructive. You need to on the see
3: market. all three or you just need to see one of the three? Anyone. one. All- any one. Oh, okay, anyone. Any one yeah, of God, those. I was going to say to have action. all three yeah. would be like I, I don't know. I mean, the odds would really be it would be like hitting the lottery, I right? Guy, I mean, yeah. Guy, what are you looking for in terms of the catalyst, the catalyst for Q3? You sounded constructive. I mean, you know, almost. listen, you,
1: you did.
5: You know, it's funny. It's funny you say that. Every, you know, I get this, you know, you're always a doomsday. The people on the Twitter are very, you know, abusive, as you know. You're doomsday. You're always negative. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I try to be always honest. I'm not always anything uh, other than that. And, you know, I try to tell it like I see it. And today was an encouraging day for a number of reasons that we talked about. Uh, I, you know, I, do I think it's over? No, but you have very tradable levels. And Facebook, for example, and we had talked about 245 in Facebook for weeks and Karen actually mentioned it last week. You know, if she has an opportunity at 245, she's going to jump in. I think the low print today was 244.19, and it closed above that 245 level. So the market gives you opportunities. In terms of catalysts, I mean, you could magically get some headline about the, a vaccine uh, coming to market in the first quarter of next year, and the market gets all hyped up. I think a President Trump victory in November is probably market bullish, so there. A number of things that could be positive, but the backdrop still suggests um, there are tremendous headwinds. Today, though, specifically, was a very encouraging day um, for people that are playing things from the long side, which most people are.
3: All right. Our next guest says the big tech high flyers are key to the fixed income market. Let's bring in Michael Kantopoulos, director of fixed income at Richard Bernstein Advisors. He joins us on the Fast Line. Michael, welcome back to Fast Money. It is great to have you back.
7: Thanks, Melissa. Great being back.
3: Uh, we we hope you've been well. Uh, in terms of the market action today, I'm just curious from the fixed income side of things, uh, did you see things as encouragingly as some of our traders do?
7: No, you know, I, I would actually argue I, I did not. Um, the yield curve flattened today. Uh, high yield credit spreads were wider. Um, so, you know, there was definitely some stresses in the credit market. Nothing to get too worked up about. But we certainly saw weakness that, you know, is percolating into the credit markets, and I think, you know, it's going to be hard for the equity market to really um, to, to rally substantially without credit support, and, and vice versa. You know, I think you're going to likely see wider spreads with uh, with lower equities, and so today wasn't necessarily um, a surprise that you had high yield weakness and a, and a flatter yield curve, but. Certainly, I wouldn't say it was uh, it was a great day for the fixed income space.
3: You said there's nothing to be alarmed about on the credit side, but at what point do you become alarmed? And are we close to that? Are we? Uh, I'm just trying to figure out how far away we are from that level.
7: Well, that's a good question. You know, I think the the, the Fed has put uh, a lot of support in the investment grade market. So it depends on on where we're focused. Um, investment grade feels feels really really good to me, even if you. Uh, even if you get some economic weakness throughout the fall, uh, I, I'm okay in, in investment-grade corporates. High yield a little bit of a different story. You know, I could see the high yield default rate uh, approach 8%, 9% over the next 12 months. Uh, the market priced that in a little bit, but you know, the Fed, when it backstopped investment-grade credit, um, high yield kind of went along to the ride a little bit and I think could be susceptible to a backup. And so you know, I think uh, as I look at corporate credit, uh, I'm, I'm focused on uh, default rates. I'm focused on uh, Fed support, uh, and I'm focused, obviously, on, on the yield curve. Um, you know, munis is are another area that, you know, we, we look at and, and have, some, um, have some support from both a fiscal and a, a monetary perspective. Um, but, you know, it's, if, if you don't get a deal, you, know, you guys are just talking about the fiscal deal and the support there. If you don't get a deal at all, you know, that could, uh, that could be something to watch as well from a muni perspective.
6: Hey, it's Karen. Uh, nice to have you on. Um, let me ask you, do you think the Fed hasn't been so aggressive so far in what they said they would buy both an investment grade and high yield, either ETFs or individual credits. Do you think they're going to pick up the pace at all?
7: I don't. I don't think they'll pick up the pace at all. I don't think they need to. You know, the Fed's in an interesting predicament here. Um, even if you look in March when they announced that they were going to buy corporate bonds, Uh, There are several investment-grade deals that came through and high-yield deals that came through that same week before they announced they were going to buy. So I would argue if you're a large public company, you had a massive gift from the Fed that maybe wasn't necessary, quite frankly. Um, And all it really did was allow the apples of the world and sort of the higher-quality companies with tremendous free cash flow to borrow at near-zero interest rates. But you see it on the equity side, too, with what we've seen on the IPO side. Access to capital is not the issue if you're a large public company. The problem, and, and so there's no reason to buy corporate bonds. The problem, as, as I see it for the Fed, is taking all of this liquidity in the system and getting it to Main Street. And how does that happen? So far, you know, they haven't been successful. Um, they talked about the Main Street program today and you know, $2 billion of loans out of uh, several hundred billion out there to be done. Um, and so, you know, getting the liquidity to Main Street, I think, is the, is the bigger issue for the Fed than, than going out and buying corporate bonds.
4: Hey, Michael, it's BK. I, so I'm curious, this time last year and going into the end of the year, the market got its knickers in a twist about U.S. dollar funding, right? We had to all had to learn these crazy things about the <laughs> repo market and the treasuries and all this stuff. Are you seeing any issues with that, that investors in equities need to be worried about at least going into the end of September and a quarter here and then further out end of year?
7: Yeah, you know, that was uh, you had big pressure going into the end of last year, as you mentioned. Um, my former colleagues at Bank of America did a great job actually making that call very early in the year. This year, we don't see as many uh, as much pressure on the funding side going into into year end. You know, I think. The other, What I would say investors need to pay closer attention to is how nearly every investment or every trade since the bounce, since March, April, to me seems to be a rates trade. And so as I'm thinking about portfolio allocation, whether that be you know, investing in tech because of the long-duration aspect of, of technology, whether it be investing in banks and, and the rate component of a bank trade, whether it be gold and sort of the real-rate component of gold trade, whether it be investment-grade corporates and the Fed support there, you know, all of this, all of these trades are effectively rates trades. And so what I think is, is you know, I wouldn't worry about funding pressures going into year-end repeating themselves. What I would be thinking about from an allocator perspective is, what's my true rate exposure across my fixed income and my equity portfolio? Because right now, it seems like everything's very, very, very highly correlated to rates.
3: Uh, good analysis there, Michael, thank you. We appreciate it. Michael cantopoulos of Richard Bernstein advisors um Tim I think that that final point that Michael made was was really interesting in terms of correlation to rates it, but-
1: He's always got great stuff, and, and I think he's he's giving some insight into where credit markets are always well ahead, and that um, you've priced a lot of this stuff to perfection. He also emphasized, or he, you know, these are my words, not his, but you know, why is the Fed out buying high-grade debt by of, of corporates like Apple? It makes no sense. Um, but watch high yield, and, and watch even the HYG, which raised straight to the 200 today. Uh, the Fed can't defend all this high yield. In fact, they can't defend that huge tranche of triple B minus that we talked about last year. Before any of these problems that we were concerned. Concerned about on a, on a downtick. I think credit is always the story you need to follow as an equity investor, and they're your guidelines.
3: All right, we've got a market flash here on Tesla. Let's get to Phil LeBeau. Phil.
1: Melissa,
8: well, take a look at shares of Tesla under a little bit of pressure after two tweets that have just been sent out by uh, Elon Musk, and these were sent out within the last 10 minutes, and they have to do with battery day, which happens at this time Tomorrow afternoon. In the first tweet, Elon Musk says important note about Tesla battery day unveil tomorrow. This affects long-term production, especially semi-cybertruck and roadster. But what we announce will not reach serious high-volume production until 2022. In the second tweet, he goes on to say we intend to increase not reduce battery cell purchases from Panasonic, LG, and CATL, and possibly other partners too. However, even with all of our cell suppliers going at maximum speed, we still foresee significant shortages in 2022 and beyond unless we take action ourselves. I think the reason that we see this stock under pressure, Melissa, is that people are foreseeing Tesla saying, look, this is what we're working on, this is what we envision, this is where we're headed, but it's going to take some time to get there. So a little bit longer time horizon and perhaps some greater investment by Tesla in order to get the capacity and get the breakthrough in cell, in cell production that they're ultimately going to need. And that may be the reason why you're seeing shares of Tesla under just a little bit of production. And again, Melissa, we'll get mm-hmm. all of the announcements regarding Battery Day at this time tomorrow afternoon.
3: Yeah, it's interesting, Phil, because the timetable had always been 2022 in terms of expectation of any sort of Um, mass production of any sort of technology. The expectation was that it it would be a battery with 50% more energy density, so a more efficient battery by 2022 in in three or four years. And that fits exactly the time frame of 2022, having to do something ourselves.
8: But you know how this works, Melissa. The the (laughs) expectations on social media, particularly on Twitter, run way ahead of what Elon Musk and Tesla have said in the past. I mean, some of the expectations that you see out there... And some of these are not from people who are informed within the company, but they follow it closely and they say, well, what if they announce this? And then somebody says, well, what if they do this? And it just starts getting ahead of itself. And I think what Elon Musk did with these two tweets was to say, look, we've got some exciting stuff that's coming, but it's going to take some time in order to get up to the capacity that we're looking for and to reach the breakthroughs that we're going to be targeting.
3: All right, Phil, we'll see you soon in Chicago. Uh, Guy Dami, Tesla was another stock that had a heroic turnaround into the close, maybe ahead of this battery day.
5: Heroic turnaround. Think about just think about quickly in the last since August 31st, when the stock made an all time high post split 502 traded down 34 percent in a week, 34 percent in a week, then bounced to 450. And here we are now. This is sort of the, you know, fool me once shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Remember back in the beginning of May, I think it was actually May 1st, when Elon Musk tweeted that his stock was too expensive. I'm paraphrasing. I think the stock was making an all-time high of 700 at the time. The sell-off lasted a day, and then you saw what subsequently happened. So I've seen this movie before. Sell-offs in the name on the back of tweets typically are buying opportunity. my sense, it will be again. And you know I'm not pretending I'm some raging bull in Tesla. I'm not. But what I've said for a while now is, You heard everything you needed to know back with the Joe Kernan interview earlier this year with President Trump in Davos, and that was backed up on that May 1st tweet by Elon Musk. Clearly, there are bigger forces at work in Tesla. All
3: right, coming up, the ultimate safety trade, the one stock that could be the perfect place to hide, if you think, despite today's comeback, there is more selling ahead. But first, shares of Nikola Tanking, after its outspoken founder, leaves the company. We'll break down what it means for the stock and its partnership with General Motors. Stay with us. Fast Money is back after this quick break.
9: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a market flash for you on Comcast. Julia Borson's got the details. Julia.
10: Melissa, that's right, Comcast, CNBC's parent company. while well, activist investor Nelson Peltz's try management taking a stake in Comcast, filing in a 13F amendment that the firm owns 7.2 million shares. My colleague Leslie Picker reporting the try has beneficial ownership of about 20 million shares, which could mean exposure through options and the like that are not included in that 13F filing. Trying issuing a statement saying, quote, we believe Comcast stocks that are valued. We have recently begun what we believe are constructive discussions with Comcast management team and look forward to continuing those discussions. Comcast had no immediate comment, but we did hear from Comcast CEO Brian Roberts last week at Goldman Sachs Communicopia Conference. He spoke about all the ways the company is on strong financial footing, including he announced that the third quarter will be Comcast's best broadband quarter since the first quarter of 2008 with broadband additions projected at over half a million. He said they're expecting healthy bottom line growth in the cable division, expecting to see higher growth in the third quarter than in the past two quarters. Also announcing that Peacock has had 15 million signups and Flex has two million customers. Now, Comcast shares are trading close to an all-time high that those shares hit earlier this year, but they're pretty much flat year to date. Melissa, back over to you.
3: Julia, thank you. And again, Comcast is the parent company of this network. Um, Karen, from what we know of Nelson Peltz and his style, the things that he typically goes after, is this a surprise at all? What do you think is up his sleeve?
6: I don't know. This is a surprise to me. I think, you know, he we've seen him do this a number of times before. Sometimes it's well received and he gets on the board and uh, is a useful and helpful member of the board. Other times it gets really contentious. If you remember the P and G proxy fight that was very ugly, and ultimately he did win there. Um, I bet, I, I think that this will be constructive, would be my guess. Um, I think there's more to come,
3: though. I, I, I'm, I, this is good news for Comcast, I think. All right. Um, we are continuing to follow new developments on Nikola. The stock falling nearly 20% today as the company's executive chairman, Trevor, Mil- Trevor Milton, steps down amid fraud allegations. Shares are also down uh, right now in the after-hour session, uh, let's get back to Phil Lebeau, who's got the latest on the Nikola saga. Phil.
8: And, Melissa, a lot of people are saying, well, what next for Nikola? What happens from here with Trevor Milton lo- no longer steering this company as the chairman, as the founder and chairman of the company? So a couple of things to keep in mind. Steve Gursky, who's on the Nikola board, he actually put together the Nikola SPAC IPO. Uh, he will become the chairman of the company. And the big focus, I suspect, is going to be on the hydrogen fuel cell semis. And that really is, when you look at the deal, when you look at the prospects for the future, that's probably the most uh, intriguing, if you will, for Nikola. And the GM deal still stands. Remember, GM is excited about the prospect of supplying hydrogen fuel cells and its hydrotech capabilities to Nikola. Hindenburg Research which put out the note about 10 days ago, essentially calling Nikola a fraud. When asked about, Trevor Milton leaving, wrote, Nikola has almost no intellectual property, products, or revenue to fall back on. We think the company's key asset was its founder's ability to raise money through hype and outright lies. So as you take a look at shares of Nikola, the question becomes, what do analysts think? Well, they have lowered their price targets, at least one did. RBC cutting its uh, price target for Nikola to $21 from 49. Cowen out with a note today saying, "Look, there are some catalysts ahead in the future once you get past the Trevor Milton episode here." As for General Motors, it still is on track to take an 11% stake in Nikola. It will build the Badger electric pickup truck. They haven't said exactly where, but at some point over the next several years, that is the plan, and they also will be supplying hydrogen fuel cells to Nikola. Remember they're developing a hydrogen fuel cell semi, Nikola is, in Europe right now, and General Motors will be supplying not only the fuel cells, but a lot of the hydrotech that will go into that semi.
3: Melissa? So the hydrogen fuel cells for the semi-truck, um, fuel cells which Nikola had earlier in, in previous statements said that they had that technology. Is that well, right?
8: now the question, the question becomes what type of technology are they talking about? Um, and General Motors, when they announced this, Agreement with mm-hmm. Nikola talked about the HydroTech capabilities and technology that they plan to supply to Nikola. So, yeah, and now, now we're getting to an area. What specifically will? Well, I the, yeah. uh, Hydrogen fuel cells is what they've said. Now there may be other technology within that as well. Right,
3: Phil. Thank you, Phil Laboe, putting in double duty tonight. Um, we should note again that Hindenburg Research has a short position in Nikola, as the last we know. Uh, Tim Seymour, is this? Why why is GM sticking with this?
1: Well, again, it, it depends on who has what technology. And obviously, GM is very pleased with their own hydrotech technology and their ultimum ultim batteries. And, and they've made a point to say this kind of validates almost as if they are supplying the technology here. Um, and and it's, look, it's not just GM. I mean, think about Bosch, who, who's actually a, an investor in the company over multiple years as a major supplier to the company. Uh, think of CNH Industrial in Italy. So it, it's just very interesting. I, I you know, Leaving aside the sell-side analyst debate that's going on, especially on the network today. I think the more important thing is, and Steve Gursky is an ex-vice chairman of GM. So there's a lot of folks very close to the auto industry, in the middle of the auto industry, or those who have been supplying technology uh, amongst the auto industry that, that seem to believe in this at whatever phase uh, they understand it to be. And and that does not mean that there can't be misrepresentation and securities fraud. And again, I know nothing. I am not alleging that. I'm, I'm going by the headlines. We all are going on. And I have no no position in Nikola, by the way. Um, so I just think it's important to, to point out, it's not just GM here. Um, there, there are multiple industrial partners. And, and then there's someone who's moving into the new chairman seat who has a lot of time uh, in the auto industry, including right. vice chair GM.
3: Yeah, vice chair GM, a longtime auto analyst on the street as well. This is a guy who knows the industry, Brian Kelly. So maybe Nikola is, is in better hands no. at this point. The thing to remember, too, is that Nikola's business model. And this is an interesting point. I'm not going to take credit for this. I read an analyst note that Nikola's business is really the hydrogen business. It's not. Auto manufacturing, obviously, because it is outsourcing all the auto manufacturing. It's not an auto vehicle company. It's a hydrogen company because that's where they wanted to make their money. They, they were bundling the service, mm-hmm. the autos plus the hydrogen. So as right. long as that thesis is still intact, yeah. maybe you still got a company. I
4: And I would think so, right? And so to me, when I look at this, this is really classic. I mean, they probably went public a little too early through this SPAC, but it's really classic kind of, you know, outlandish, brash founder, and I have no idea what actually happened, but you, know, you get personalities that to be a founder and to come up with a new idea and to get it to that point, sometimes you move fast and break things as they say, Silicon Valley, that doesn't work well when you go to the public markets. And so you have this collision here and this chaos actually might represent an opportunity because if they actually do have a product and they do have something that GM and Bosch really feel good about... And now I've got some adults in the room, let's say. That's actually an opportunity on any sell-off here. So
3: I'd be watching for that. All right. We've got much more Fast Money coming your way. Here's what's coming up next.
4: Banks tank. We'll dive into the report that found widespread misconduct in the sector and what it means for these names. Plus, what big changes at the Supreme Court mean for the state of health care in the country and the stock that could feel the most pain. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
0: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. Bank stocks are getting crushed today on a new report about the big firms dealing in suspicious funds. Wilfred Frost has got the details. Wilf.
11: Hi, Melissa. So bank stocks uh, were down sharply today following large declines for their European counterparts. Deutsche Bank, for example, closed down 9% on European trade. HSBC Standard Chartered down about 5%, both hitting 25-year lows in London trade earlier. US banks ended up down about 4%. This is in part due to an investigation by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists that highlighted suspicious activity from various banks in the past, specifically money laundering, Uh, following a review of more than 2,100 reports filed by the U.S. Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. A slew of banks uh, are mentioned, including, as I said, HSBC, Deutsche Bank, Standard Chartered, J.P. Morgan and Bank of New York Mellon, amongst others. Clearly, this activity is embarrassing for the banks, however... Important to note it's in the past and that government and regulators were already aware of these details since suspicious activity reports, by their very nature, are reports between the banks and the government in the first place. For uh, for example, Deutsche Bank told me, quote, this is not new information uh, to us or our regulators, end quote. Today's sell-off, uh, therefore, much more down to the broad cyclical sell-off linked to COVID and economic headlines. And also that Supreme Court news uh, further making a stimulus bill less likely, something that banks are disproportionately uh, reliant on compared to some other sectors. Melissa.
3: Well, thank you, Wilfred Frost on the banks. Um, one, one sentence Wilfred said really stood out to me, Karen, and that is it is not new to us uh, or our regulators, which really makes me think that maybe the regulators will be perceived to have let these banks go off, get off too lightly when it comes to some of these uh, suspicious activities.
6: Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I think one of the things that sort of may be weighing on the stocks today, as well as this, is the idea of maybe we have an administration, a new administration that will be tougher on the banks. And even though this one may have been in the past, what might the future look like? If we were to see repeated issues like this or other ones. But all of the banks were down, uh, not to not similar amounts, the ones that I follow JP Morgan, Bank of America, City, and uh, Wells Fargo, by about that 3 or 4%. So I'm not sure how much was this, how much is the, as Wilf said, the potential lack of stimulus, and how much is just the economy and the market being, um, being down. It was a very, very tough day for me.
3: Yeah, I mean, there, there are numerous things you could point to as reasons why the banks would be down in a session like today, Brian Kelly.
4: Yeah, and, and I would add to that, you know, and Wilf brought it up, some of the European banks just trade like death. Uh, they, they look horrible. The market's telling you that there's not much worth in those equities. Uh, not saying there's a banking crisis coming, just saying that, you know, there's not, there's not much to these European banks. If they get another lockdown, that's going to be a problem. But I, and the last thing I would point out is, you know, if anybody ever tells me that Bitcoin is used for criminals and money laundering, I'm just <laughs> going to point them right to this report, and that's and that ends the conversation.
3: <laughs> that's a very good point, um, Guy Dami. I feel like we haven't mentioned Deutsche Bank, or you haven't mentioned Deutsche Bank, in ages, and here we are tonight.
1: Guys, Deutsche yeah,
5: Bank. Yeah, I got tired of just. I just got tired of just, you know. <laughs> basically hammering Deutsche Bank at every turn. But quite frankly, they've deserved it. And I find it fascinating. I don't think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I often am, but I don't think Wells Fargo was mentioned in that, yet Wells Fargo got crushed as well. And I think to your point, I think it's a point worth making. The real existential risk for banks, on top of everything else, is the role that Elizabeth Warren could potentially play in a Biden administration if he were to win. I think that's potentially, I won't use the word, but catastrophic for the banks in terms of what could happen with regulation going forward. And to me, that's really the tail risk here. So Citibank trading at 63 percent of tangible book. We mentioned that for a while. Those are levels we last saw in the financial crisis. That is extraordinarily telling. And the fact that Warren Buffett uh, pared down his U.S. bank exposure, you know, a few weeks, if not a month or so ago, is also... Uh, a huge tell, and I think that's where we are in the banks right now. They're they're clearly not as important a a vertical that they used to be, but you absolutely have to watch these things.
3: Um, you know, I I get that uh, there there's value in the bank shares that they're trading at a discount compared to historical basis. Tim, reasons why you are along the banks at the same time. It seems that there's so many risks coming up in the horizon. What is the most concerning in your view?
1: Yogi also said, "If if you get to a fork in the road, take it." And I think uh, <laughs> that fork in the road, uh, obviously, that doesn't really make sense, does it now, Mel? But um, let, let's talk about the stress capital buffer that the Fed the Fed didn't talk about last week, or let's talk about limitations on 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 buybacks and dividends. I, I think investors are are voting with their feet right now. Um, Karen, Guy and Brian have talked about some of the issues and potentially some of the issues on a regime change. But these may be issues that are independent of a regime change. And I, I just think the way banks have traded uh, since those stress tests and you throw in cities problems. And, and, and yes, Deutsche Bank, uh, Deutsche Bank gapped below its 200 day today. And it tells you that uh, there are some concerns there. I, I think it's that's really the dynamic for banks. It doesn't get better in the short run, but I, I
3: remain long money center banks. All right, coming up more on today is crude collapse, why options traders are betting on this name for a rebound. Stick around. Fast Money's back in two. Delivering Alpha is just over a week away. Check out this power lineup Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, Stephen Schwarzman, Mary Erdos, Carla Harris. The list goes on. It all takes place Wednesday, September 30th. So head to deliveringalpha.com to learn more and register. Coming up, hospital stocks taking a hit following the death of Supreme Court uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You'll hear from one top health care analyst who says the Affordable Care Act could now be at risk. We'll bring you that and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Healthcare stocks falling hard in today's sell-off as the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg throws the future of the Affordable Care Act into jeopardy. Joining us now is Anna Gupta, principal at AG Health Advisors. Anna, great to have you with us tonight. Um, hey, good evening. We, we mentioned healthcare overall, but you know the hospital stocks really um, took it on the chin today. Molina, Centene, each were off by about eight and a half percent. You've got three scenarios as to what you think could happen to, to ACA. It sounds like two would be positive. Pro ACA, can you sort of go through them?
12: Yes. Yeah, so clearly, the Affordable Care Act is the most at risk from a healthcare policy perspective. It really hinges on two things. The most obvious thing is will they fill the vacancy uh, for RBG before the election or during the lame duck? But one should also look at what the potential knock-on implications are, obviously for um, sentiment uh, ahead of the election. I think that more likely, of course, it's going to mobilize uh, both sides and uh, very much focus not only on the president, but also on the composition of the Senate at this point. So I think that three election scenarios, the Democratic sweep or the blue wave post RBG, I think, is at a much higher probability than before. And then the other two scenarios, Biden as president with divided government, you know, the Senate, our majority, House D majority, or the Trump status quo, as we have it, today are probably equally um, impacted. So we have, you know, a scenario on Obamacare where you have the law completely overturned. There was a Texas lower court in 2018 in the end of December that had uh, said that the individual mandate is completely severable from Obamacare. This was heard by a federal circuit court, but they really only punted for a hearing by the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court, with a six-three or perhaps a five-four majority, could completely overturn um, the law. On the other hand, a scenario we could have is that they don't either don't replace uh, Justice Ginsburg or the ACA remains intact from a judicial perspective. But then we do have a Democratic sweep, and then you know six months perhaps down the road there is a legislative outcome where the law can not only remain intact, but perhaps even be strengthened with subsidies for exchanges, incentives for uh, the red states to expand Medicaid. So we saw this really violent sell-off today for Centene and Molina in the managed care space, and then some of the hospital names, all of those have the most exposure to um, Obamacare. But if you want to play offense, On the the latter scenario, on an intact ACA, perhaps even a strengthened ACA, you know, you could actually um, look at buying on the sell-off. On the other hand, playing defense, you should be looking at United and Humana and maybe the digital health names, which have done very well amid the the pandemic and are generally defensive, like Teladoc, um, Amwell, that just went uh, public.
4: Hey, it's BK. So I'm, I'm curious about the dynamics in the healthcare outside of the ACA. So we know because of the pandemic that a lot of elective surgeries weren't done and some of these hospitals were actually having some uh, economic issues. And today in the junk bond market, a lot of the pressure was in the healthcare sector. Those spreads widened a bit. So do we need to be worried about kind of a financing or credit issue within the healthcare and more specifically the, the hospital stocks?
12: So we did see a big slowdown, obviously. The margins on the managed care side, which is the flip side of the the ledger, if you will, um, expanded. They had lower medical loss ratios. And we have seen some of that beginning to come back, but not entirely by any means. On the hospital side, uh, the surgery center names, all names generally in the care delivery system saw uh, weaker volumes. But if you do see, um, you know, continued... Slowdown from an economic perspective, or there is, a, you know, there is a second wave or another lockdown um, that should continue to help the, the peers, if you will, the managed care side again, United, Humana, the, the digital health names. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side, if uh, you have, you know, pretty uh, a, a slowdown on the pandemic, no, no second lockdown and a vaccine, perhaps. Uh, you know, the hospital names could see an accelerated rebound in utilization and volume pickup. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty on, on the hospital side uh, from both the election perspective as well as from um, uh, the pandemic.
3: Anna, great to have you. Thanks for phoning in. We Thank appreciate you. it. Ana Gupta, AG Health Advisors. Offense or defensive guy? What's your positioning here?
5: I tell you, Learing does extraordinary work in this space. Uh, and they said the SCOTUS decision is you know highly unlikely. And so offense is probably the way to go. But you know, you mentioned the hospitals and JP Morgan today downgraded tenant healthcare. I think they lowered their price target to twenty dollars. And if you look at where it closed, twenty-four, twenty dollars makes a lot of sense. The March low was ten, the recent high was thirty. Uh twenty dollars is the fifty percent retracement. If I'm playing offense, the way to do it is to have THC on your radar screen and buy it if it hits that $20 level. Maybe you start layering now, but I do think there's probably a couple more down days ahead.
3: All right, coming up, looking for an energizing trade. Options traders are betting this stock has room to run. Yep, that was a hint. That trade is next. And Coca-Cola shares falling flat this year, but Kramer's chatting with its CEO in an exclusive interview to see what is bubbling ahead. You can catch that full interview next on Mad Money. Meantime, Fast is back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out crude oil getting hammered in today's sell-off. Energy stocks also took a tumble. The XLE ETF that tracks the space falling more than three percent. But there is one name that saw plenty of bullish activity in the options market. Mike host got the action. Hey, Mike.
5: Hi there. Yeah. So we're taking a look at Marathon Petroleum. Marathon Petroleum has actually seen a lot of call activity over the course of the last twenty trading days or so. And in fact, the open interest in calls outpaces that and puts by about three to one. Today, we saw a little over two times the average daily trading volume, most of that, again, related to call activity. This time in the January 35 and 40 calls, we saw 15,000 of those trade as a spread earlier this morning. Now, of course, the open interest is sufficient to cover, but a buyer of that call spread would be risking a little bit more than 3% of the stock price if they were betting that the stock could potentially rebound at some of the highs that it saw earlier this year despite the fact that, obviously, the whole sector and this stock, too, has seen quite a lot of weakness.
3: Yeah. Uh, Tim, do you see value in the energy sector? Well...
1: If you look at some of the oil services names, and I'm actually Long Slumberger here, I, I think you've, you've, you've got a case where you've actually shown free cash flow positive. There is an argument that these guys have, have reeled in their business, that they are exposed to the technology in the industry. Uh, I think if you want the best of breed integrated name, I think you want Chevron. Uh, and I think they've proven that over multiple cycles, they're, they're playing in line with the demand supply dynamics of the sector. So that's where I would be.
3: All right. Mike Coe, thank you for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, we got the final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
1: The shelter-in-place trade seemed to be back on today. Electronic Arts, to me, valuation-wise, 25 times at a blowout fiscal Q1. Look at this trade.
3: Karen Finerman.
6: Yes, so my trade for the autumnal Equinox, um, you know, 90% of this game Ooh. is half mental. So we've got to be out there buying
3: what you want to own, even when it feels scary. <laughs> and for me, that was FedEx. I've forgotten about the Equinox, nice. Brian Kelly and Yogi. <laughs> yeah, I had actually forgotten about it too,
4: even though the sun's right in my eyes, going down. Uh, so listen, the, fu- the future's hard to predict here, uh, but I would say XLF, you want to sell that thing, and when you're done selling it, you sell it again. The banks look terrible. Guy. Tim
5: works out at Equinox. That being said, eyes round-tripped, <laughs> F-E-Y-E. <laughs>
3: Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money starts right now.